It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today with me, Michael Johnson, CEO of Metric. Michael, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it. So, uh, Metric, you guys, well, why don't you tell me what Metric is? For those that don't know, what does Metric do? Uh, Metric is the most trusted and experienced provider of cannabis regulatory systems in the country. Uh, we combine our, our solution is uh, combines advanced uh, software, RFID tracking, and also a dedicated customer support team, as well as a secure database to track any number of different uh, events that happen across the supply chain ecosystem for cannabis, uh, as many as 350 discrete events from seed to sale. So is seed to sale, is, is that going to be the same uh, terminology as trace and tracking, or is there a subtle difference? Do you guys do both? It's a little bit of a subtle difference. Um, and, and, and I think there are some, some nuances frequently, however, track and trace and seed to sale do get used interchangeably. Uh, a lot of seed to sale platforms exist, um, but they're not necessarily track and trace platforms. And so track and trace is a little bit more nuanced and tailored towards uh, government and regulatory oversight. So we're tracking tracking a product, tracking a plant, and then tracing it all the way through uh, the supply chain. And it's not, it's actually a misnomer to even refer to as a chain. Uh, it's more of a genealogy of where a plant goes because a plant could harvest a pound of flour and that pound of flour could get broken up into multiple different packages and boxes and go to some part of it goes to a place that gets processed and combined with some other flour and you know, another place process that combines with some other flour, and then maybe it's, um, you know, distilled and broken down into, you know, an edible uh, cookie or a gummy or something like that. And then those get broken up into different places. Um, so it's it, a chain it implies like a direct kind of a one-to-one relationship all the way through. We have kind of a one-to-many, to-many-to-many relationship uh, that, that can really demonstrate the, the true power of the complexity of the supply chain and also the need to have something as robust as metric in place. Whereas seed to sale is uh, frequently incorporating more of an ERP, uh, which is more of a like a, a licensee or a, like a cultivator facing a product that helps them a little bit with uh, a kind, of, a kind of augmenting more of the data that's collected and also helps them from an operational perspective. We're not an ERP. Uh, we have we have tremendous appreciation for our ERP partners, which uh, which I think frequently refer to themselves as seed to sale providers. Do you guys you are you using blockchain for that? Because there's there's a lot of other competitors that are doing it, and they're uh, they haven't quite worked out. Uh, Biotrack tried to come into Washington State, didn't quite work out. So I'm curious how you guys are different from the competitors and what you're doing to. Um, you, you guys are obviously preventing this divergence from going off the regulatory market into the, into the legacy market, black market. Um, and what are you doing to track all of that? Because some of the data is not flowing through uh, like it was supposed to in Washington state. That's how it was written. We're supposed to have access to that data. It hasn't been available for a long time. What are you guys doing? How are you different? Are you using technology like blockchain? Uh, so blockchain is a little bit different. So there's uh, there's a lot of folks that are a lot more smarter than I am as it relates to blockchain, and I'm sure it could provide some some great visibility. But as I mentioned, it's not a one to one relationship. So it's a one to many to many relationship. That doesn't mean that blockchain is impossible, but it certainly isn't as effective or as efficient 
as, uh, as the, the process that we've got now in terms of the relational data structure. Uh, and that, that's been working. Uh, it's been effective. Washington State's not one of our states, um, but we, we certainly would welcome the opportunity to, to enter into Washington State. Uh, the magic of our product is, is not really even the user interface or, or even the RFID elements, but, but that is quite special. Um, it's really the relational data structure that allows for the collection of that data and the relationships to stay intact. Track and trace tools have proven essential in effectively regulating Canvas uh, and, and really supports the heightened awareness around transparency and consumer, basic, consumer safety, uh, which is necessary to the ultimate survival. And so we're, we're particularly proud of our ability to build resilience in the supply chains, uh, which is the longstanding goal of both government regulators and business owners. We focus really heavily on that, uh, where some of our competitors I'm not, I'm, frankly, I'm not saying that they don't focus on that. I just think our ability to come to market, our ability to find a solution that works best for the, the growing ecosystem has been, uh, has been extremely effective. And we're, we're very proud of that. Talk to me about some of the, the issues you've had to work through in the past. There's a lot of data. I'm curious where, where that data ends up. Like I mentioned, Washington state's supposed to have access to it. It was really neat seeing, um, you know, what was flowing, trending, what was happening and not having that, um, it, I think is, is hurting a lot of the uh, manufacturers. In Washington, we have over 1,700 SKUs. Um, might not be an issue for somebody like Massachusetts that has under 350. They're able to um, handle that you know, in a better manner. But when things go down, when the systems go down and people have to then replicate that or try to duplicate that, um, it can be incredibly inefficient and some of your competitors, um, and there's a lot. Maybe you can also explain why there are so many uh, that can't, you know, essentially do what their core function is supposed to do, uh, like BioTrack, for example. I'll throw them under the bus. I don't care. They tried coming to Washington State, didn't work. Uh, and there's many like that. So why are there so many? And what have you done to increase your efficiencies so that when, you know, things don't have to go wrong, um, like, duplicating or, or uh, you know, bad data in, bad data out. You don't want employees uh, putting the numbers in. So how do you essentially create a more efficient platform than a BioTrack? I, I, I want to be uh, certainly want to be respectful to anybody out there that's doing or that's, that's making inroads to try and try and grow the ecosystem and support the cannabis, the legal cannabis ecosystem. I think we're different. We're we're unique in the sense that we have been built for regulators, whereas um, most of our competitors, actually all of our competitors, are not. And so there's a natural tension between folks that are trying to build something specific uh, for industry-facing uh, usage versus folks that are trying to build something that supports the regulatory environment. And and certainly certainly there's a number of of competitors out there that done both. We have not. That doesn't mean that we won't. You know that we will we'll stay on one side uh, forever. But I think the future for us is really be focused on supporting governments. Um, when you think about just the economics, which everything comes back to economics, um, governments have, have constrained budgets, right? They're not gonna spend a ton of money on, on really anything. Um, and there's only 50 states. And so if you look at yourself as a government only type of a product, you are somewhat constrained in terms of how much revenue you can generate um, and we're not, I mean, we're, we're somewhat profitable, but we're not printing money and certainly would love to love to be able to grow and expand and, and, um, and, and help the business be more profitable. 
Um, but it, for us, it's much more important that we're focused on the mission to try and support and elevate the overall ecosystem. I would say the, the data point of your question really falls back on our process that's proprietary and patented using RFID. Uh, RFID is ubiquitous. It's the standard for agricultural technology everywhere in the developed world. Um, RFID allows for folks to be able to automatically generate uh, or automatically track everything in the ecosystem. Um, each tag that we have has an RFID inlay that has uh, written onto it a 16-digit global unique identifier um, that's also printed on the tag tag um, with a with a, a barcode. There are certain states, like in Washington, for example, where folks can generate their own tag or their own identifier, and that creates a unique system to them. So it's only unique to them. It's not unique to the state, um, whereas we're, or, or even to the, to the overall Canvas ecosystem, whereas our tags and our identifiers are globally unique. So I can easily track anything uh, across states um, or compared to even other countries, anything that happens within our system, I'm able to kind of slice and dice and be able to find meaningful insights to whoever that user is frequently for us, it's the government. Um, our process is a little bit more rigid than others. You can't, some competitors, you can print your own tag and come up with your own number. Um, but just like I can't print my own driver's license and I can't come up with my own driver's license number, um, there, are, there are benefits that rigidity and allows standardization across different types of platforms and allows standardization um, for folks that are part of the ecosystem and legal cannabis. And it's really that backbone of the cannabis ecosystem that we're trying to, that we're trying to be and that we're trying to support and, and really leverage uh, so that folks can can build the legal market and can prosper from the legal market. So those tags are essentially your bread and butter. Is that your your revenue model? Is you're charging a subscription for each one of those tags? So the more clones or the more plants you have, the the more tracking that needs to happen, and more um, revenue that you're making. I mean, I'm sure there's probably some kind of breakpoint or whatever. How like, explain your your revenue model? How that works out. Yeah, there's a few different flavors, but primarily we're a usage-based model, which many software companies work like that. You get a ton of access or you get a certain level of access for a certain price point and, and or for a certain number of users, for example. Our model is based on the, the number of plants that are tracked within the system, plants and packages. So um, we we use the tag as a surrogate to as a, like you're getting something physical for it, but really, I mean, you're not, we don't really charge very much for the software. So um, the tag is really just a surrogate or a vehicle for us to charge for the software, which is really the primary element of our system. Um, the tag does provide tremendous cost savings opportunities for regulators because you can go into a cultivation instead of kind of doing an inspection and cherry picking some, some different plants. Uh, you can walk around an RFID reader and you can, you can scan the entire, you get 100% uh, inventory check. Um, there's been situations where using that process, plants have been discovered that have crossed state lines. So I'm in a state, maybe I'm in Washington, and I, you know, use a scanner and identify plants that came from another state. Um, that can only happen using this type of mechanism. Uh, again, like if I made my own tag, anybody can see kind of anybody can manufacture that to look any way they want. Um, there has been less adoption. Um, and I think this is an area of emphasis for us. There's been less adoption uh, of the metric tag for industry facing use cases for RFID. Uh, some, some really good examples are folks that have been able to uh, automate weighing using RFID-enabled tags or RFID-enabled equipment. Um, but the, the, 
I don't think most folks realize how powerful and how much more efficient they can be using the metric RFID tag um, on the industry facing side. Cultivator being able to not touch any, any systems, not, no computers, nothing at all, and literally being able to go through their entire process with a, with a plant, um, as long as it has a metric RFID tag, and that information being able to be harvested uh, and housed within the system, literally no one touching anything, um, is, is the potential of RFID. And we being on the government side, do not spend as much energy um, because we're on the government side focused on trying to sell directly to the cultivators. But that potential exists. We certainly uh, do everything we can to partner with integrators, uh, third-party integrators that, that integrate into metric and then also cultivators to identify opportunities or folks that they can partner with so that they can gain efficiencies and be much more profitable in their operation. What is the process to get a new client? If you're talking about trying to maybe get into Washington State, for example, um, what is that process? Is it just like any other you know, government contract or is this fairly unique uh, at the state level being um, you know, cannabis, SaaS, essentially? It is generally through an RFP process. And so there's usually a competitive bid, just like uh, traditional government contracting. Uh, government would decide that we want to have a system, just like they might have a system for um, parking. If you have street parking, you pay via an app. Around, around here, it's Park Mobile, but they, they'd have picked uh, Park Mobile over a number of other vendors. They would have done that through an RFP process. So generally, that's the, that's the flow. Uh, we do have folks in a number of states that are not metric states that find benefits in uh, having the, the level of compliance and the standard of metric. And so we do have some folks that contract with us directly that are in non-metric states. Um, they also find the benefit of RFID to be something that's a little bit, uh, a little bit special in being more profitable. Um, and, and as, because we, we have the patent on the use of RFID in the cannabis space, um, they, they go through us and, and we tend to do everything we can to support those folks. So if anybody's in Washington, that's interested, happy to, happy to have that conversation. Hmm. What are, what are some of the, um, the data that you're getting is, 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 or do you have any kind of crystal ball predictions or anything that's coming out where you're seeing either more cultivation or you're seeing uh, more of a particular, um, strain name being inputted is, is there anything of that nature that you can share with us that's general enough, uh, yet, yet showing some kind of, um, uh, foreshadowing of, of what we can expect to come? Yeah, we, we see, I mean, our data is, is quite expansive. Um, but to be very clear, it's not our data. So the data that exists within our system. So when I say ours, I mean the data that's within our system. The data is owned by the state and the, the licensee. And so we're certainly able to help support and facilitate the analysis and evaluation of that data, certainly able to help derive, help the states and, and even in certain cases, cultivators derive insights from that data. Um, but for us, it's not, we're not a data company. We're not, we don't, sell anybody's data. We don't do anything with anybody's data outside of their control. It's their data. Um, that being said, there are certain certain um, public facing scenarios, like you mentioned Massachusetts earlier. And so using the Massachusetts data, they they requested the development of a global product cat catalog for Massachusetts, which we created for them. Now, they're the only state that we've created it for, and it allows for you to see all of those SKUs in one place, pictures, details, um, everything associated with the strain. And that's something that um, that really is pulled together from the data that is housed within metric. And that's how that's possible. Mm -hmm. When um, 
once you you land a contract how's the onboarding i'm curious because this is kind of top down rather than a company saying we want to um we want we want to onboard this right they're kind of being given a regulatory um proposal it's it's not really an option they have to do it so i'm curious from from the, the your your client or um you know the individual producers or processors or retailers how is that onboarding acceptance going is it is it fairly um smooth on their end are they disgruntled about it? are they upset about it uh walk us through that process kind of kind of a mixed bag in that case um so we most recently re-onboarded because of some disruption in the regulatory process. Uh, we re-onboarded Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a very mature market. Um, there's nearly 10,000 cultivators in, in Oklahoma. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's a lot closer to 10,000 than zero. And so bringing in folks that have been, that have been in the space for quite some time and have developed processes and now have to shift those processes, it's a, it's a little bit harder. Um, there was 90 days, I believe, in that cycle to be able to bring those folks uh, into the system. And, and not surprisingly, we had the vast majority of folks trying to get, uh, trying to get caught up towards the, very, the last few weeks of that process. And that creates a log jam and a log jam isn't fun for anyone. And so we, we certainly had folks that were working overtime to try and support that. Um, but the, nevertheless, you have so many people coming in at a point in time, some of our uh, support hold times were much longer and our response rate was, was not where we would like it to be. Um, but that, that is that is a very unique situation, and that's really on, on one side of the spectrum. On other side of the spectrum, we'll get involved with the state before they've even licensed a, a single cultivator. And so if nothing exists, it's much, much easier, obviously, to get started because there's no one that we're, no one that we're training off the bat outside of the folks in the state, uh, and there's no, no processes that are already in place that kind of have to get rewritten. So it's going to depend on what you're looking at. We've we've certainly come into states where they've had deployments with some of our competitors and they haven't worked out so well. Uh, and so we've been able to move and kind of shift our processes to adjust to their processes such that we can get folks um, moved over within just a few months. And so, I mean, generally speaking, we can get somebody up and running in, in no longer than three months. I'd say six months is closer to the norm. Uh, but I would also I would also say that metric isn't in control of that. There's a lot of other folks that are in control of it, both from uh, the state side, the regulatory side, and then also uh, cultivators and licensees and whatnot. So working together, we can move as quickly as anybody would like, um, but it, it's it's a lot more complicated than, than just signing up or or logging in. Uh, there's a there's a real shift in structure in terms of understanding how best to use the product, how best they can deploy it, and really making sure that they're operationally ready for success. When there's a um, global expansion that we're kind of seeing right now, Colombia and Peru, uh, Argentina, there's other, Italy is probably going to legalize to some degree in the next two years. Um, when that happens, um, will RFID be the way that these other, you know, governments and, and foreign countries decide to kind of uh, adopt their own policies and procedures for trace and tracking? What do you kind of see on the global scale happening? I think anywhere in any developed country, you're going to see the use of RFID. Uh, I don't think there's any question of that. And, and the reason I feel that way is because in the agricultural tech space, RFID is ubiquitous. In, in Walmart, for example, Walmart in January issued a mandate that just about everything in their supply chain has to come to them with an RFID tag on it that follows their, their structure. 
So every single thing, the largest retailer in the country, every single thing that comes into their, their building has to have an RFID tag on it. So I don't think that goes away, um, regardless of what their track and trace structure looks like in any of these countries. Um, whether it's required by the government or whether it's something that's adopted as a best practice from the operators, that, that part I, I'm, not, I'm not particularly sure on and I don't think anybody really knows. We do the best we can as it relates to the, the emerging countries. And I mean, you certainly mentioned Italy and Europe. I think Germany is one that, that a lot of folks pay close attention to. Um, when we evaluate metric as a partner and, and as an opportunity to help support and legitimize the legal cannabis market, uh, we look at it in a way that we can provide the most value to making sure that folks that participate in the ecosystem have a standard that is reliable, something that helps folks feel uh, comfortable, helps folks feel like there's a strong level of regulation such that uh, cannabis is, is, is comfortable and supported and they feel safe. And that's what we really focus on. Uh, in, in Europe, um, there could be slightly different flavors of, of what metric does or how it does it based on what their specific needs are, just as in certain states, there's been variations in, in flavors and, and whatnot. Our goal is to provide that standard backbone of the regulatory ecosystem and to do the very best we can to support the stakeholders within it. There's a lot of uh, competitors out there that aren't going to make that, that trip you know, with you as, as time goes on, they're going to, they're going to fall to the wayside. Uh, just like a lot of the, the producers in Oklahoma, you can't have 10,000 tomato growers in any one region, can't have 10,000 cannabis farmers. Oregon is, is the craziest thing I've seen next to that. They have, they had a, a, about 7,500 licenses at one point, and it's half that now and it's still too many 3000 is is there a learning lesson that you've seen from either the um just the crazy amount of of, of production in the cannabis side or something that you've learned from uh the competitors out there um i, I think uh, there's there's a lot to learn from failure you know practice doesn't make perfect failure does and when you see all of these competitors not going to make it. You see all of these producers not going to make it. What's the learning lesson? Because it seems like you're in this kind of perfect position to see a lot of these failures occur. What's the takeaway? I think it's, I think it's like any industry where there's something that's, that's new. Um, you look at a lot of things that are happening with cryptocurrency and whatnot. Uh, in the U.S., and I think in lots of parts of the country or lots of parts of the world right now, you see this, this green rush where folks are kind of running as quickly as they can to get involved in cannabis. And they feel that there's a great opportunity for them to be successful. And they have that, they have that, sort, of, that sort of manifest destiny concept about them. Uh, and they're, they're trying to do things, I, I think, I like to think at least in most part for the right reasons. But just like any business, you get folks that come in that find a niche and find ways to do this in a more profitable way or in a dif disruptive way or uh, some unique differentiator. And, and other folks aren't going to be able to adapt as, as quickly. Um, and that's part of the process and part of any cycle uh, in, a, in a new industry. I think folks that are really, really successful and are going to continue to be really successful in cannabis are the ones that embrace the strengthening of the ecosystem, that want to do everything they can to support the legal ecosystem so that 
we have access to the same levels of, of banking opportunities that traditional and uh, participants or traditional industries have. Same thing with insurance, same thing with visibility and, and same thing with support from, uh, from the local governments and from state governments and any stakeholder in the business. Uh, we tend to see the most successful folks be the ones that are really supportive of what, of what we're trying to do and they get behind it. Um, and we tend to see folks that are, that are languishing a little bit, fighting back against um, what, what the benefits of metric can be, uh, the benefits of RFID can be, because it's really about growing and stabilizing something that is nascent into something that is commonplace and really just a, a, a another thriving industry in the ecosystem. That's what we see. Uh, it's not really terribly surprising that you see a large number of, of in, or a large inflow of folks into the space. Um, that's normal, it's exciting. I mean, it really, the power and the magic um, that folks can, can, can glean from cannabis um, while maintaining transparency and, and strong consumer safety, uh, I think is something special. And so it makes sense that a lot of folks wanna get involved. Um, but, to, but to get involved and to stay involved is gonna require consist, constant innovation and growth. And we're really excited to help support that standard and be the backbone for folks to be successful in the cannabis space. Does it create opportunities as well? Are you seeing M&A opportunities where some of these are potential um, accretive deals where you would be stronger together than separate? Um, and if so, what, what is it that you look at when making those decisions? Absolutely. I mean, for, for us, at least, we look at some really exciting, I mean, we get, we get really excited when folks come up with more opportunities to expand the use of RFID um, because we know they're adding so much value to the ecosystem. Uh, so we get really excited about that. We can't do everything on our own. And as I mentioned, we're really focused on supporting government. So that means that we're not kind of going and, you know, knocking on the doors of every cultivator to see if they want to buy our, our next latest and greatest widget. Um, but there's a space for that. And to the extent that the folks that come up with the next latest and greatest widget are able to leverage RFID and are able to find ways to create true efficiency so that some of those cultivators that maybe were part of that original 7,500 in Oregon that have dwindled down, so they might still be here today, um, that's, that's huge. And I think the, the real benefit from that, which you see again in just about every other agricultural supply chain, uh, is the, the use of RFID. And so we're gonna continue to support those folks and we're gonna do everything we can to support them um, and, and while I can't say that we're looking to buy, you know, one or two or 10 tomorrow, um, we're, we're focused on trying to get profitable on our own here. Um, but I, I do see tremendous, um, tremendous growth and true force multipliers, uh, from folks that are going that direction. And we're going to pay very close attention to that, uh, as we continue to grow. Well, if anybody wants to, uh, get some more information on what you're doing, whether it's a government agency or investor or otherwise, um, do you have a website or social media where they could check you out at? Absolutely. Metric.com is, is the best source. Uh, we're active on LinkedIn and um, we, we certainly welcome any opportunity for anybody uh, to share their, share their thoughts, ways we can get better, things that we're not doing that's so great, things that they'd like to see us, us kind of double down on. Um, you know, Metric has really had a tremendous journey, uh, certainly a fair share of ups and downs as, as everybody has experienced when we try and get through uh, a brand new industry. Uh, but Metric is, is absolutely um, in, a, in a great spot to be able to support all those that, that want to profit and, and grow uh, within the cannabis ecosystem. We want to do the very best we can and, and Metric is absolutely here to provide that. 
Well, if you got a LinkedIn contact, uh, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. But I think with that, we're gonna have to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, Michael Johnson, CEO of Metric. Michael, thanks again for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Likewise. Thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.